And that was Yo Into New York by Malibu Shark Attack, featuring Jesse Dangerously, available on both iTunes and Bandcamp. And welcome to the first edition of Crash Chords Autographs, a new sub-series from Crash Chords featuring a variety of informal audio interviews from near and far. As an analytical reprieve from our main feature, the Crash Chords podcast, this series is a chance for co-host Matt Storm to get up close and personal with artists and innovators in a casual medium and discuss everything from current projects to inspirations and, of course, topics of their choice. Today's episode looks at two artists, consecutively Mark Young of Head P.E. and then Spider One of Power Man 5000. Both bands are on tour starting in August, and they each have brand new albums out this year, Head P.E.'s Evolution and Power Man's Builders of the Future. So without further ado, Matt Storm and Mark Young. Thank you for calling today. Thank you for agreeing to do the interview. Um, I appreciate it. I personally am a big fan of you guys. I remember... When you came out with the first album broke, or your second album rather broke in 97, I heard it on the radio in high school and it was like unlike anything I'd ever heard before because I hadn't really heard a lot of hip hop metal at the time and not definitely anything that heavy. And uh, You talk about the, the first album? The second album with Bartender. Second album. Right, right. That's when I got hooked and, then hooked and then went back and got the first album. But Bartender was like, back then was mind blowing for me in 2000. All right. I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything like that before, you know? That's good to hear. It definitely gave us a shot in the arm back then for a little while, that's for sure. Yeah, it was all over K-Rock in New York when it first came out. And I would listen to radio all the time back then, back when re- radio was the way to hear new music, unlike now where right. you, can, you have to look up everything. Yeah, I gave up radio when the number of commercials exceeded the number of songs. Right? That... that uh is I think what's going to eventually be the full downfall of radio and internet radio and podcasting is going to probably be the future because you can just download for free whatever the hell you want to listen to and not have to deal with commercials. I would think so. I would think so. Take it back to the music, which is really where it started. Yes. So um, let's let's start with a little bit about you. Um, so you're obviously the bass player for Head PE. Um, how long have you been playing bass? Since you're a kid? Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up, too, because one of my friends I haven't heard of in, since I was a kid sent me a picture from 92 a couple of days ago, and it was my very first jam with my only music buddy who played drums at the time, and we looked like a couple of dogs sitting there in, in his bedroom, but uh, that was when I first started. I got my first bass uh, Christmas of 1981. Wow. It only took, my, it only took me like 18 months to convince my parents it wasn't another fad. <laughs> so I finally got it, and I think at this point I proved that I'm doing it for the duration. Yeah, I'd say it's safe to say in 2014 that you've uh, stuck with it long enough to convince them it's a career. Yep, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and so um, you and um, you, only two of the band members are the original band members still. You have two newer members, um, but you've been in the band since the very beginning, since Head P first started. Yes, I have. Yeah, I met Jared uh, when I first came to the country when I was looking for a band. We had a band uh, for a couple of years before Head PE, and then I've been with him in the band ever since. Awesome. And I got to hear the sample of the new record, Evolution. It sounds great. Um, I'm really digging it. Uh, my next question is, what what would you say is the newest thing you're bringing to this new record? What's different from the older records? Well, it kind of segues into the title evolution Mm -hmm. in a way we've been playing music all our lives and in our signed years 20 years now 18 years we've been signed pretty much 20 years we've devoted every minute of the day to head PE since it started in 94 and we've explored every style like like you're saying in high school you heard us mixing the hip-hop with the rock and we'd already been doing that for a few years we've gone through the punk phase we've mixed punk with hip-hop we spent a lot of time exploring dub and reggae. And on this album, I think after all the 
quote-unquote avant-garde albums we've released over the last few years, this time the writing style kind of went back to the roots of rock. You know, Jackson, our guitarist, is a phenomenal writer, and he's like a sponge when it comes to music. And he went back and studied old Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and all the greats that inspired us way back when. And then his his writing then reflected that, but in his own way. You know, we we play and drop tuning, we tune down the B, so everything's going to sound lower and more ominous anyway. But it was a certain homage paid to our roots in the writing of this record, and I think that's that reflects in the music too. Yeah, I, I can definitely say that I hear that as a as a fan of the music because um, a broke and um, the follow up in tw- that came out in 20, 2004 were the two big influential albums for me first getting into heavier music. And um, I've, I've loved all your records since, but those two were the ones that like, I really latched onto. And it sounds like that new record is going kind of style, but taking it to a new. Oh, it's maybe. I'm sure there's influences from those albums. They can't not be because that was us back then. Yes. But I, but I think it, it's a, it's, it's very subtle where this album goes because it goes in both directions. It's a, it's a glimpse into the future of where we're going, but it's also a glimpse into the past of where we came from. So it, it really traces our own personal evolution as musicians when we were kids, listening to those bands and then going through all our exploration and then coming back to that kind of classic rock sound that we started with. Awesome. And um, I know you mentioned influences before a bit uh, that Jackson has been pulling from for his writing. Do you have any bass greats that you identify with that really influence your bass playing? Well, I would have to say right up front, Geddy Lee is my favorite bass player, and it was jamming along to Rush Records is how I learned to play. Right. And also uh, Iron Maiden at the time, you know, Steve is a phenomenal bass player, though I never really went down his style of playing. Later on, I really got into Flea, uh, and I really got into Primus. So I love what Les does, and I think he's just a he's the consummate musician. He never stops working. So he's very much influenced me. Uh, and recently, I've been kind of going back to uh, bass players. I don't, don't even know their names. Like the Average White Band. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Scottish funk band that blew up in L.A. Oh, my God. That, that guy holds down the pocket so tightly. And his lines are so simple, but so funky. And I don't even know the guy's name, but he rules. I, I really enjoy listening to him. There's a lot of reggae bass players in recent years. Like Jared, particularly, is a huge reggae fan. And, and we've obviously taken more of a reggae direction in recent years exploring that that genre of music which has taken me back to exploring reggae bass which is fascinating to me as i find they're not the typical shredders like we are in the rock world trying to fit as many notes in the measure as you can you know they're about what they don't play space is very important to them so i've learned that and jared schooled me a lot over the years you know pay attention like when we listen to hip-hop you know the bass or the 808 will drop out and it creates that kind of tension release that reggae does where the bass drops, you're waiting for it to come back, and then it comes back. Uh, it just creates dynamics in the music. So I've been studying a lot of reggae bass to improve my own dynamics because I've got it down to where I can play as many notes as I want. So now I don't have to relearn it, take my ego out of it, and learn where not to play. So I, I, pay, I pay a lot of attention now to the bass players that show me what not to do rather than the ones that show me how many notes I can play. Sure. Yeah. It, and I mean, of course, in, in Jared's singing style, it's always come across that he's got this reggae and hip hop influence, which, you know, obviously reflects the rest of the music, too, because you want to take it in direction where all of the sounds support each other and then go somewhere, can even go somewhere completely different together. Um, it's very, it's very true. That is very true. And also, as musicians, we can tend to, you know, get off a little on showing off and playing a little more than we should. And you tend to end up stepping on the toes of the singer, which can be detrimental to the song. Sure. So as an artist over the years, it pay, I, I, I'm learning to be more attentive to what's going around on around me and feed off that rather than just throw my notes out and expect them to fit in everywhere. So sure. I have, I've been trying to go through my own personal evolution as a bass player as the band evolves through its own musical journey. Um, and 
the next thing I wanted to ask you was where do you draw a lot of your, I mean, we talked about your influences, but do you draw inspiration for your albums just from other music or do you write about things that happen? You know, do you help to write, you know, create a mood based on things that are going on in your life, on tour, at home, you know, where does your inspiration for writing music come from? Well, I would say that that question would be much more applicable to Jared because Jared writes all the lyrics. Okay. So his lyrics are drawn from every aspect of his life, from personal things he's dealing with on a day-to-day basis, into personal relationships, or politics that he's seeing in the world, or social causes that he wants to draw attention to. So whatever's going on in the world around us will definitely fuel what's coming out. For me personally, you know, I, I wouldn't say my bass playing is particularly inspired by what's going on or what's not going on in the world around me. If I'm in a good mood, I'll pick up my bass and just play for the joy of it. Right. Um, well, then I guess a, a better follow-up uh, question would be um, not necessarily, you know, uh, what inspires you to write, but... Um, how does the the writing process work? So obviously, you know, you guys write the music and the lyrics. Does will will Jared come with a a great set of lyrics and you guys kind of build music around it, or is it that you guys build up the music as a foundation and then he writes lyrics to go with that music? Well, in recent times, there's been generally two ways the music's been approached. On this new album, there's eight rock songs in a row, and then the reggae songs. Now the reggae songs. Jared had approached at home, working on his own ideas, his own musical ideas, and his own lyrical ideas and melodies, and constructed the blueprints of those songs at home. And then when we were on tour, to bear in mind, we live in all four corners of the country now, so rehearsal happens on stage 30 minutes before the first show of tour as we jam for soundcheck. That's the only, only time we get to play together. So over the course of the last couple of tours, Jared would show us his reggae ideas and we jammed them out as a band day after day till they evolved and became their own entities. And now the rock songs on a similar tip, Jackson spends all his time at home just creating music of all kinds. That's, that's what he does all the hours. He's awake, and he came back after a long break with a whole slew of awesome songs that Jared kind of referred to as doom metal, a lot of dark, <laughs> blungy stuff. And we started jamming that day after day at Soundcheck 2 until we next had a break in tour and started recording it. And then I think Jared would, did all the vocals last and being the perfectionist, perfectionist that he is, some of them had three, four, five rewrites till he was happy with what, what he got put down. Cool. Um, it, it's interesting how the, the fact that you guys are spread across the country now you know, it is so is so easily manageable than it uh, probably more easily manageable than it was back in you know ninety seven or in a situation you know back then recording over, across the world is almost impossible without you know MP threes and computers at their advance. But now you guys probably can send each other stuff constantly. So it you know well, having we've run we've run the spectrum from the first album recorded in a, in a very expensive, I think back then it was like $1,300 a day farm recording studio up in Massachusetts. It had this huge sound stage that had been built for the, for the Rolling Stones back in the 70s. You know, in-house catering. Everything was just overly done. So much money thrown around. Then fast forward nine albums we had to today, we had the drums recorded at the Mushroom Head studio in uh, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Jackson went into a studio somewhere near where he lives in Michigan and, and recorded guitars along to drum machine beats that were later on, later on synced up. I did my bass tracks at the beginning of this year. Half of them were done in a hotel room till we had to check out and go to the next show. The other half were done at the side of stage, running a line out of the back of my rig with my headphones jammed in my ears while Smile Empty Soul was sound checking. And so we were just taking any opportunity that we could to get these tracks laid down. Very punk rock and about as far away from the major label days as you could possibly get. Sure. Probably a lot more fun, a lot more fun doing it this way, I would say, too. Well, yeah, it probably feels a lot more personal and much more your own, too, doing it this way. You know, um, the idea of just 
picturing you sitting with the headphones in while another band sound checking, trying to get the tracks down. It's, it's interesting that you can even do that now because even a decade ago, it was, you didn't have that kind of recording capability. And now I just heard, I was, I was, I forget what article I was reading where, but the least plug cables that actually have a recording device in them. So you can just record as you're playing the show and just record the whole slew of baseline really? guitar or guitarist while playing the show. It won't pick up the vo vocals because the recorder's in the jack, but it'll record everything you're playing, which I think is brilliant because then you can just record a ton of bass work from a live show, pull it apart and do what you want with it, which is kind of neat. That's amazing. And you know, How long how long till we get the call like, hey, Mark Jackson, we got these cardboard cutouts and some really clever guitar cables that are just pretending to be you guys. Yeah, on. right. Just put up the cardboard cutouts and then you can, you know, relax and just eat, 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 <laughs> eat and chill out while, you know, the cardboard characters play for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'll be quite the same thing. No, I don't think so. And I think you'd miss the uh, the on stage fun. I'm sure. Um, do you do you enjoy touring? Do you like touring around with the guys? I imagine so. Oh, I do. I mean, touring is really in the blood. After a while, we've been doing it so long that you know you come home, and after a while, I start to get a little bit restless. Um, but I also find you have to make the most of tour. We're only on stage for an hour at night. So that leaves 23 hours of your life that you can either choose to waste or you can do whatever you want with it. Now, personally, for me, I'm not an American, so I came to this country with wide open eyes and I'm a permanent tourist. So I travel with a road bike and I log in 30 to 40 miles per day on show days, a little more on days off, but I just explore the country and that's what keeps me sane, really. It gives me a reason to, to go out there every day. That's awesome. So you say you're, you weren't born here. So where are you originally from? A place called Newcastle in England that's known only really for beer. Used, <laughs> well, to be, used, to be, used to be known for building ships and coal and a band called The Police. But I think now it's only known for Newcastle Brown Ale. Which is a fantastic ale. But, you know, I think people still remember The Police. You know, I mean, they don't play. They played together like two years ago for one night only, which I thought was bizarre. But, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. still around doing stuff here and there. Yeah, and I have a lot of respect for Sting. I actually read his autobiography a few years ago. It's a great story. Uh, but, you know, that name Sting always kind of sounded pretty tough when we were all kids and he was a lot older. And then I read in his autobiography, it's because he showed up to band practice in a striped black and yellow sweater. And the band leaders started calling him Sting because he looked like a bumblebee. And it stuck. <laughs> I thought it was a great, uh, completely un-rockstarish way to get a name. Right, which you then he then built into one of the biggest names in music Absolutely. and rock stardom, and and it's just uh, it's great showing you that dynamic on how you can really make of yourself whatever you want. Work for it because you know getting thrusted in a name that's so silly and then making it your own. Very true. Very true. Um, so the new album comes out on July 22nd. Um, do you have a particular track that's your favorite on the album? Or is it one of those, you know, you can't pick, you love them all? I don't have a particular favorite. And for the, for the first time ever, I can honestly say that there's no track that I would even skip on this album right now. I've said it quite a few times at this point. I could walk on stage and play this album from song number one to song number 12 in that order and walk off and I think we would have just done a top class show would have just rocked yeah, but right now I think my, my favorite song would have to be One More Body it's just a rocking song it's our first single it's a challenge to play there's nothing easy about that song it's just riff after riff and a lot of up and down dynamics so that's going to push us live and I think it's people are going to get hurt in the pit so <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for that. Well, you know, they should be able to take care of themselves. If they're going to a head PA show in the first place. They should know what they're getting. Um, yes, they should. <laughs> um, my One of my personal favorites from the catalog was always Swan Dive. Coming up, yeah, a song like Swan Dive, because it talks about dealing with yourself and your emotions and when you're 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 having trouble as someone in high school yeah. who had a rough time that that was one of those songs that are like i could vent listening to that song and really get through so you know that happens to be one of my favorite of the discography do you have a, a favorite song to perform on stage in particular one that you just have a lot of fun with um this fire is quite fun to play because again yeah. it's a challenging song but i think at this point 
my favorite songs to play are the new ones. Well, that's yeah, cool. like I said, that's one more body. No, no turning back is slamming too. The reggae ones because it gives us a chance. Like I don't know if you've heard any of the the reggae songs on this album. Like Nowhere to Go is a song we've been playing live now for several months, and we actually got to to rush into a studio for about a couple of hours towards the end of the tour a couple of months ago, and just jam everything out live, and it was amazing. It sounded like we were this band in Jamaica sitting around a bong. Jamming, jamming a track, but we were really just rushing the sound check in Louisville, Kentucky. So that came out great. That's awesome. The fact that you guys can just sit down and, and in a hurry still make this awesome jam that feels authentic and that feels, you know, feels like of the era that you're trying to create with this reggae sound is, is really awesome. It's exciting to hear about that, and I'm sure it'll be great to hear on the record. And it's fun for us because it's a huge switch in dynamic. Like, obviously, you've heard One More Body, the new single, and then from that straight into a dub song. It's challenging to us, but it feels real. And it's something we, uh, it's something we, we really pull off well. And the contrast, the dynamics in our song from the, the metal to the punk to the dub, it's really a sweet thing. Well, sure. And, you know, as a band, I imagine playing the same kind of music over and over again, you know, you guys, I'm sure, fool around playing cover, you know, messing around with cover riffs and stuff that you've played that you were playing, like you're saying that you love Getty Lee. So obviously you've played your fair share of Rush tracks, but being able to play something that's not even within any of the vein of what you're used to playing, something that's so uniquely different is great. And it also lends to the evolution of the band, the fact that you're evolving into this other sound. And playing with it and making it your own as well is, you know, it's a, it's an awesome step in keeping everything fresh and keeping fans into it. You know, it really, it really is like that. I mean, it keeps us on our toes as a band because we're already always moving forward. It keeps me on my toes personally, because if, for example, a few years ago, we got kind of interested in listening to a lot of Curtis Mayfield and kind of approaching some old school music like that. But that sent me back to getting on YouTube and on iTunes and buying music and starting to study bass players that I maybe never heard of or only given a cursory glance to in decades gone by. So that, that would make me go back to school for a short while studying this bass player then and the next bass player. That would increase my own musical knowledge along the way. Again, back to our own evolution. You can choose to evolve or just stay the same. And I think if we're going to do this for our careers, we have to evolve. We don't really have a choice. Sure, yeah, that that totally speaking, makes sense. Speaking of which, so well, one thing you mentioned a couple minutes ago is always intrigued me about Swan Dive, mm-hmm. and I, I guess you kind of cleared something up about how you were going through maybe some tough times, so you could relate to that. We stopped playing that song after 2003, after the band changed lineup, and we moved away from the major labels and more into an independent. World. And also Jared, who'd been in a different mindset at that time, back in 2001, whenever, didn't want to play that song now because the song really is about suicide. You know, right. taking a swan dive into the asshole. And his whole mindset had changed. You know, he became a father and had a family. So suicide was the last thing on his mind. And inspiring other people to even think about it is probably the last thing on his mind, too. So it would kind of floor us every night we get We'd be in the middle of the show, and, you know, we'd take a little break, and the Swan Dive chant would start. And it's like, why that song? Of all songs, do people want to hear about suicide? So now we'll, we'll play it a lot of times now, but it's not, honestly, our hearts are not really into it because the message is not something that we really are trying to put out there. Sure. Well, I think for me, the reason I related to it in high school is not because I wanted to commit suicide, but because I struggled with thoughts of that kind of stuff and being able to kind of vent about it and sing about it kept me from doing it, kept me from wanting to do it. You know, it allowed me to get angry, rage and kind of vent and know that someone else was feeling the way I felt and was writing music to get it out. And I was listening to music to get it out. So for me, and I think a lot of the other fans, it's they relate to the song because they've been there and they like that this song exists. So they were able to keep themselves from having those dark thoughts and they were able to relate to someone who also also was. For sure. And I guess it would make people in that situation not feel so alone. I was like, shit, I'm not the only person going through this. Well, it's just like also like what what I loved about Blackout and that album and that song was, you know, the idea that all of these things that are messed up in the world make you want to scream till you black out this fact that you're frustrated and you can't do anything about it. Like, I think a lot of people identify with 
the anger and frustration that Jared had conveyed in his lyrics, especially in those earlier albums. Um, and even later, yeah. you know, I think people really like for me personally, I'm an emotional li music listener. And I talked a lot about on my podcast how relating to an album emotionally is almost the most important thing for me. And it's because, you know, when I'm angry, you know, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't want to hurt myself. So an angry song lets me vent that rage without harming anyone or myself. You know, and I think a lot of people take comfort in songs that you can relate to and get those energies out. You know, just like uh, I'm sure Jared's written lyrics to get that energy out instead of keeping it inside. Oh, absolutely. I think as artists, you have to exercise those demons, exorcise, not exercise. <laughs> yes. That, that's for sure. And, you know, obviously I was around during the blackout days, too. There was a lot of pain expressed in those lyrics, and there was reasons for that. And it had to be processed out, I guess, to move on. Yeah. And I mean, and it sounds like, you know, Jared's at a place now where he's got other things and, and that's great. And I think that's one of the things I love about music personally is that everybody interprets it differently, but everyone can rely on it for what they need it, whether, whether it's just to enjoy themselves, to have fun or to vent or to move on or to feel, you know, it, it's a versatile medium that affects so many people differently. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about it, how fans react to, to music, how artists express themselves in music. I completely agree. It's one of those rare, beautiful things in the world, music, that it's both subjective and objective, I, yeah. I feel. It's very objective because it is what it is. It's created out of instruments using the, the fixed notes in the scale. But how it affects each person is very, very subjective. It can move one person to laughter. It can move another person to tears. Yeah. The, amount, the amount of emotion that can be triggered by music is something special. Any type of art that can do that is something to be treasured, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, it's something we talk about when we review albums every week. It's like, you know, we say we think the artist is in this mindset, but ultimately we're mostly putting what we feel on it because we can't obviously know what the artist was going through. We're not that person. So we're kind of yeah. making an educated guess based on the tone of the music, the lyrics and whatever else. But honestly, we could be completely off. They could have been writing about X and it's actually about Y, you know, and, and it is fascinating how, how it can be, go that way. Um, you had said earlier that you you spent a lot of time on tour and you only guys only play for about an hour or so when you're on stage so you like to fill the time with other stuff to obviously keep yourself busy. What what are your hobbies besides obviously playing bass or riding bike? Do you have anything that that you do to unwind, like watching movies, playing video games, that kind of a thing? None of the latter. I have you know I'm I'm a lot older probably than you and most people, so I've tried everything that's pretty much caught my attention over the years, but really, it all distilled down to three things in my life. My three passions are yoga, music, and nature. Mm. And I, I practice my yoga every day, not just the physical class, but it's it's a lifestyle. It's an inner way of being, not just an outer way of being. Music is self-explanatory. That is my job, but it also is my life. You know, I've been playing musical instruments since I was about six or seven. They picked me, literally, at my when I was a kid in school in England, they picked certain people to be given musical tuition. and That's how it started. So music is where starting always comes back to, for me, if I'm in a bad mood or just bombed, I'll pick up my bass. And, you know, a few minutes later, that mood's totally shifted. And then lastly, nature. I mean, to be out in nature is, is my highest purpose day to day. I just want to be out in the forest here. I moved to where I live now so I could be in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's it's just good for the soul. It keeps me at peace. Sure. Yeah. So, do you go camping as well, and you know, go out into the wilderness for long periods of time? Camping, backpacking, mountain biking, uh, even road biking in Central Oregon. When you go out east in the high desert, you can you can be on a road and not see a car for thirty five minutes. Wow. But backpacking backpacking up in the volcanoes in in the summertime is oh man, it's like you're in heaven. I'm not gonna like it. Yeah, it sounds incredible. I mean, I, the the little bit of camping I've done in New York is upstate. There's some great campgrounds, and I've gone for a week or so. But you know, uh, we don't we don't have volcanoes here, so definitely an <laughs> no, awesome sight to see. New York has some uh, some great outdoors. So there's a uh, some great cycling up around Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie itself is a bit of a well, take it or leave it town, but there's some great outdoors around there. 
Syracuse, yeah. uh, even outside of Rochester. It's a lot of good stuff in New York. Yeah, absolutely. Manhattan's Manhattan an exciting place to ride a bike. I think the first and so far last time I ever got hit by a car, a taxi obviously, was New York late at night, and, and I, I was drunk. It was after a show. I was riding back to a hotel. After, it was one of the broke shows when we were big and playing at Roseland or something. And riding back to my hotel, I'm used to California where everybody in the car is respectful of, drive, of cyclists because they don't want to get sued. And this cab just came up behind me and just pushed me out of the way. Totally bent my wheel and just turned me off riding in New York for quite some time. Wow, yeah. Well, I see bike riders in New York because I work in Midtown and so I walk around and see them and I give them a lot of credit because I wouldn't, I can barely handle driving in the city. So I can't even imagine mm -hmm. being on a bike in the city because you have a lot less protection on a bike than in a car. Yeah, yeah. It's fun, but it's exciting. It keeps you on your toes. And since I first started riding in New York, because I've been riding this since probably 99, 2000, they now put in the bike trail that runs all around Manhattan Island. Yeah. That, that's a great place to ride. Um, so um, you guys, I'm sure, ha so you're not on tour now, but you guys are going on tour soon. Is that correct? Yeah, I fly out and meet up with the fellas on the 5th of July, and then we have a video shoot at the legendary Al Rosa in Columbus, Ohio on, on the following day, and then we begin a two-week tour leading into the gathering. And then we go out in August to early September, co-headline and run with Power Man 5000. That's incredible. Those guys are great. I'm a fan of theirs too. They start coming out with albums around the same time as you guys, if I remember correctly, around the mid mid to late 90s. Um, well, we used to play shows with them back in the day. Uh, not too often, but we did have quite a few shows. Uh, and the guitarist, to be honest, I don't know if he's still in the band because I have yet to <laughs> to look at that current lineup, so I'm probably sounding like a fool here, but their guitarist back then was a friend of ours. He played in a couple other local bands around Huntington Beach right about when we were first coming out and when Korn had really set the scene there and they were moving on and we were kind of inheriting that. So uh, it'd be good to see the Power Man guys again. It's been long enough. Yeah, um, they actually just put out a new record that I've been listening to a lot on uh, Spotify as well. Um, and uh, I'm really digging it. I mean, I always like their sound too because they they're they're a band who has a special sound that they work towards with this kind of sci-fi metal that they've always played, and it's always been fantastic, you know. Um, yeah. So it's cool to hear that you guys are going on tour with them. Um, are you? I imagine you guys are coming to New York at some point, yeah? Well, you, you just called me out. I just pulled up my itinerary again. If we did have a New York show, and I was going to tell you, but no, I think we got Rochester and Poughkeepsie as well. Oh, okay. Well, when you guys are in New York again, um, I'll definitely have to come check you out. Um, I'm excited for the new album. Um, but keep my number and drop me a line. I'll hook you up on the guest list. Oh, well, I appreciate that, uh, Mark. That's great. Um, yeah, uh, the one, I guess one of the final questions I just want to ask is, it's a little bit cliche, but I like to hear what artists say because, you know, as someone who tried playing instruments as a kid but never really picked it up and took the more production side of it and is more interested in the mixing and the, the post stuff, do you have any advice to aspiring musicians or even aspiring artists of any kind, you know, words of wisdom, something you would tell them, especially if they're struggling with the medium, you know, what your advice to them would be? Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm a walking cliche, so I can just give a cliched answer. Don't stop. Keep going, and then when you're older, teach your kids to do the same. There's nothing like music for, for changing the direction of a kid's life. Yeah. No, and even if, you, even if you suck at it, just keep going with it. It's fun. It's better than a video game, man. At least, at least you're creating something. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that... Um... I think that music, however you use it, whether you're creating it or listening to it, is very important to development of any kind. And like, I have a young nephew and niece and who listen to a lot of music. Some kids show stuff and some actual pop music. And I'm trying to push them in the direction of classic rock and other stuff, too, because, you know, I, it, I think it's important that they hear all that kind of stuff, you know. Oh, I think so, too. And there's even been scientific studies that have proven that the brain is positively affected by playing a musical instrument, yeah. which makes simple sense, just the hand-eye coordination, you know, learning to use two hands on a keyboard or on a guitar neck takes a hell of a lot of concentration. And then by the time you get to the point where that's second nature and you're not thinking about it, 
That's happened because your whole brain has evolved to the point where it's taken in a whole new skill, a whole new skill set. So yeah. You're, you're growing every time you study an instrument. There's nothing like music. Yeah, and that's why it's so frustrating when I hear about another program at a school cutting the music funding or the arts funding. It's like you're cutting out the most important part of someone's development. You know, math and science are important, but so is the art. You need all of it. It's all part of development. And cutting those programs is just, it's mind-boggling to me how anyone could think that's a good idea, you know? Yes. And as a cynic, I would go on the limb and say it's because education has not really been the prime purpose of the educational system in recent years. I don't think the goal is to bring out aware, awake, and advanced children anymore. Yeah, I know. I, I probably agree. Because when I was growing up, the way we were taught and, and the way education was approached was even different than it is now. And I feel like they just, they're just they more concerned about cutting corners and, and not setting people up for the actual future and actual life, you know, and getting out there. Yeah, and also maybe a really sharp, smart, and aware youth will turn around and ask the powers that be, what the hell are you doing? You know, right now they uh, want, they'd rather have a dumb populist that doesn't want to ask questions. Yeah. Perhaps. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong there. <laughs> well, it's it's hard as you get older and see the things that come ahead of you or before you and not be cynical. You know, you grow up and you 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 look back on what you had and you think that you had it good and or that the system is not as good as it used to be kind of a thing. So it's hard sometimes to not be cynical, especially when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, I even get cynical to myself, you know, when I've learned oh, wait a minute, that's how it really works. And I look back on 20 years of me taking something else for granted and not even questioning it. Yeah, um, and that's that's never easy either. So um, I, I want to thank you again, Mark, for, for talking to me. Um, it's been a pleasure as a fan and as you know, someone who enjoys music as much as I do. Um, so the album is called Evolution. It comes out on July 22nd. The tour is starting very soon. And um, yep. and I'm excited to see if you come to New York. Um, it'd be a, a pleasure to meet you and the guys. But um, good luck on your tour with the new album. I'm going to tell the world about it because I'm excited for it myself. Um, I appreciate you taking this time. Um, this will be when when it goes up on my podcast. I'll go ahead and tweet at you guys so you can see the link and share it around and listen to it. And uh, I'm hoping to write up the article within the next couple of days. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, it'll be online. Sounds good, Matt. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time, and thanks for all your support. Thanks, Mark. Take care. You have a great night. See you at the show, my friend. Yes. Bye. Take care. A week later, Matt got the chance to speak with the frontman of Head P.E.'s touring mate, Powerman 5000. So please enjoy this special double interview, Matt Storm and Spider One. Hello, Spider. Hey, what's going on? How are you, man? I'm good. Good. Um, I want to just start off by thanking you for doing the interview tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. No problem. And um, I'm a huge fan of the new record. I uh, I think it's great. Um, I'm excited that you guys have a new record out. Yeah, me too. Long <laughs> <laughs> time. Again, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy with it, too. Just uh, one of those records that kind of came together nicely. You know what I mean? Yeah, you sure. St start out trying to do something, you actually accomplish it, you know, once in a while. I actually spoke to um, a few weeks back. I did an interview with Mark Young from um, Head PE. Um, oh, cool. he, he mentioned that you guys are going on tour together this uh, this summer. So I'm going to try and check you out when you guys get to New York. So Oh, great. Cool. Which will be yeah. exciting. But um, so uh, the first thing I want to start with, of course, is um, I know you're obviously promoting the new record, which just came out. And as I recall, you're also doing Great American Nightmare this year. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And Nicole had mentioned that. So in case the listeners don't really know anything about Great American Nightmare, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about that? Yeah, I mean, Great American Nightmare was this thing. It actually started last year. It was uh, sort of like this, you know, obviously Rob, uh, it was Rob's sort of brainchild to have this, his own basic, you know, Halloween, you know, haunt. And so it was a mixture of, uh, of, of scary mazes that you might see at like Universal Studios or something and then mixed with music. And so last year they didn't know uh, outside of LA and there were, there was music every night and um, so you go through the mazes and go see a band. But this year they moved it to uh, Phoenix, Arizona or Scottsdale or, and, uh, and I think the, uh, 
the only musical acts are going to be us and, and Rob. So it's going to be pretty special that, you know, um, the, and I'm, you know, honored that he chose us to be part of it because it was such a crazy fun thing to do last year. I mean, it, you know, Halloween is like, you know, my favorite holiday. And it's so sure. doing a show based around Halloween is really, it's just, there's something sort of magical that happens, you know, because people are in costumes and there's this all, you know, just a whole other vibe. So um, I'm really looking forward to doing it again. Cool. Yeah. As a Power Man 5000 fan and knowing your albums over the years, I'd never guessed that you like costumes and Halloween and uh, any other right. stuff. It just, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, we, <laughs> yes. I know. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I know we, not too obvious. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to ask is, so I've been, I've been a power, personally a Power Man 5000 fan since Mega Kung Fu Radio. So oh, wow. way back in the day, I'm dating myself a little bit, but we'll move past that. Um, uh, so I was curious what, because obviously back then, the album cover and even some of the songs didn't really have the same sci-fi vibe that a lot of the later stuff had after the fact. What? Right. What what caused that shift? Why did you decide to move more towards this kind of sci-fi aesthetic? Well, I think, you know, the band from the very beginning, you know, if you look back to, you know, the records before Mega Kung Fu Radio, you know, Independence, we put out True Force, you know, and Blood's Flat rating system and all this. They were always, you know, knee deep in pop culture, you know, and there, you know, so, you know, some, a lot of the reference, same with Mega Kung Fu Radio, it's, it's not, it's not inherently science fiction, but there's references to Jaws and Taxi Driver and, you know, just, sure. just that, you know, comic books and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the name of the band itself, you know, um, you know, uh, True Force, our first EP we ever put out has a you know giant robot on the cover and, you know, sure. so things like that. But yeah, it wasn't until, you know, I think, and it's funny because, you know, obviously I've always been influenced by all that stuff and science fiction in particular, but it wasn't until, quite honestly, I think we got, what what ha- what kicked it into high gear was when we si- signed to DreamWorks and then we when we made uh, Tonight the Stars Revolt we actually got a real budget to make a music video mm. and so at that point I was like well fuck I'm gonna get you know this this was the days when they give you half a million dollars to make a video so I was like well I wanna make a fucking like science fiction movie you know what I mean? right so, you know sort of like you know childhood fantasy making my version of Flash Gordon or whatever and so when we made the video for uh, worlds collide it you know obviously took off and became sort of you know the you know our biggest success and so then uh, of course that identity of science fiction thing got solidified with the band and you know and it just kind of became the thing that we did and you know and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily because of success i just i loved doing it and um but it's, it's interesting how that you know it was more of an opportunity you know i could finally do it correctly um and then that became you know something i just kept doing you know yeah, uh, I remember in I think it was high school when when Tonight's Stars Revolt came out, and I'd already known of you guys from Mega Comfort Radio. I remember hearing that song on the radio and going, "What the hell is this? Where did this come yeah. from?" Like it just I remember all, me and all my friends at the time because there was there was I mean in that time a lot of bands were coming out that had a sort of a kind of sound like that. But the thing that I thought that was different about Power Man is a this, this how steeped it was in this kind of space and sci-fi, which yeah really a lot of bands didn't do at the time. I mean, Rob had been doing since white zombie, this kind of, you know, darker thing, but he was really the only one steeped in some kind of pop culture related thing. Beyond that, a lot of the bands were very, very kind of face value. And so it was cool as a nerd growing up to have this band that was like, Oh, they made a science fiction music video and songs that are about space. You know, I think if you also are a fan of that kind of stuff or in that world, then, you know, you can sniff, bullshit you know and it probably seemed authentic <laughs> to you know and and so you know you know that i always liked you know what i liked about there was certain bands that and there's not a lot of them because most bands don't really think beyond you know a song they just think well this is what i do but then there are those certain bands you know like rob or like us or, or even like outside of the genre like say like a beastie boys or something sure. where you're like you're like you love the music, but you're like, I fucking know these guys, even though you don't, or yeah. you know, if you don't know them personally, because of what they talk about, the kind of clothes they wear, the kind of movies they reference, you know, you get a sense of like, oh, I would be friends with this guy if I knew him, because we like the same shit, you know, and yeah. I always liked that when you found artists like that, and I always wanted Power Man to sort of be that thing where it felt like more than just the songs, you know, it was more of a, a cultural thing or a lifestyle thing where you kind of you became more invested in it because 
you felt a deeper connection other than like, that's a catchy song. You know what I mean? So in a lot of bands, yeah, they would see something and maybe, you know, maybe they would, they would dabble in it, but it didn't feel like that was really them, you know? Um, whereas I think with us and Rob and a, and a handful of others, like you believe it, like, yeah, these guys live and breathe this shit and they believe in it, you know? And so that's why I probably connected with so many people, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I would say for sure that's why it connected with me, uh, hands down. Well, not to mention the you know the ironic part of the whole thing is that how that whole culture has become so mainstream and so accepted. You know, it's like when I was a kid growing up, you know, if you could even find like a Spider-Man T-shirt, you know, as a yeah. kid, and then have the balls to actually wear it to school, you were probably going to get made fun of or get into a fight or something. Whereas now all that shit has become so, you know, acceptable and so in, in, you know, not only that it makes, you know, massive amounts of money for, you know, you know, the Disney owns Marvel and all these, these superhero movies. It's just, it's, it's just bit, such big business where it was never like that, you know, yeah. growing up it was, it was the, you were the weird, the weirdo, you know, uh, well, for sure. Well, I remember the first time I have a young nephew and, and niece. My nephew's nine and he's very into video games and Minecraft and a lot of pop culture stuff that I'm into. And I remember I went with him and my sister-in-law to JCPenney once. I haven't been there in years and years because it's not just not where I shopped. And we walked past this kiosk that was literally covered wall-to-wall t-shirts, Superman, Spider-Man, video games, all this stuff. And they were like six bucks a pop. And like everybody was wearing these shirts and I'm just like, where was this when I was, you know, yeah, for sure. in high school, I had to pay $20 at Hot Topic for the only Venom t-shirt they had. And that was it. No choice, no nothing. And then I got beat up the next day at school for wearing a Venom yeah. t-shirt. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I had the gall to correct someone when they said, oh, that's Black Spider-Man. I went, well, actually, it's Venom because the logo is bigger. They didn't care after that. <laughs> it's just beat him up. He's not making sense. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's such, it's so funny how how accessible all this stuff is now. And before it was very like it was it was rare. Yeah, it was it was. And if you saw somebody that you know you thought you connected with, it was it meant something. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, okay. with the internet now the way it is, it's so much easier to connect with like minds, like between Facebook or forums or or you know websites devoted to specific nerd things you know it's so much easier to find your your people whereas you know growing up before that kind of stuff it's like oh there's the one kid that's in one of my classes that likes the thing i like so we'll talk about it when i see him in that one class um so the the next thing i wanted to ask is because i'm actually curious because i don't know myself i don't remember seeing it anywhere where did the name i'm guessing that the name power man 5000 power man is in reference to the japanese hero power man is that correct no, it's actually not. It's um, when I was a kid growing up, I was a big like comic collector, Marvel comics, mm-hmm. and and there is and still is, but there was a superhero called Power Man. Oh, okay. Was, uh, it was essentially like the first black superhero, and Power Man, I think, was kind of in reference to Black Power. And for whatever reason, I don't know what, like some white kid growing up in the suburbs of Massachusetts, why this superhero. I connected with it. Like it was, it, it was so cool. And like, and he would team up with this guy, Iron Fist. So it was like, it was very 70s sort of black exploitation feeling. He, Power Man was, you know, he, he, he uh, you know, he had like an Afro and he would team up with Iron Fist, who was this Kung Fu master. And so it had that very much like Kung Fu black exploitation vibe to it. And I just loved it. And so it just kind of stuck. And then I, you know, sort of added the 5,000, probably at the time, just in hopes of not getting sued by Stan Lee or something. But uh, <laughs> So I think at this point, I'm probably safe. But, you know, it really, it, it came from uh, from Marvel Comics. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, uh, I, I actually recognize the name Power Man because Luke Cage is the hero that actually comes from Power Man. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that sounds, that that reminded me of it. Oh, okay. So right. th- that's pretty cool that it comes from, from comic books. I guess yeah. because in my head, because of the giant robots on the, the, the album covers and everything, that's where my brain went, you know. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that actually makes way more sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, obviously you're gearing up to go on tour with Head PE. Um, but um, while you're either while you're on tour, or when you're not on tour, when you're just home, when you're not writing music or working at a, a haunted house and doing, you know, haunted themed stuff. What's your downtime kind of preferred hobby do you have one or do you just write more music and work on yeah i mean there's, there's not a ton of downtime because you get off the road and you're instantly working for like the next tour that like like i've been home we just got back from europe we did a month in europe doing all the like big festivals over there i caught home and uh, i'm in the studio today 
working on a song for another like sort of secret side project I'm working on. I directed oh, cool. a video directed a video for another band a couple of days ago. <laughs> um, this band EI Fox, I directed their video, um, which is came out awesome. And then um but if you're asking me what I like to do when I'm not working on music or something related, I I I'm happiest when I'm sitting watching uh professional basketball. I'm like a huge NBA fan. I just love the sport of basketball. I like to play it. I like to watch it. And so that's sort of my anti music you know, fascination, my non-nerd, you know, uh, <laughs> moment is I'm actually like a big basketball nut. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I fell out of basketball after the strike years and years ago, and I try and keep up with it a little bit. I got more into football after that, but uh, I was a diehard um, Chicago Bulls fan growing up. Um, I love yeah. Jordan. Jordan still to me is one of the greatest players to have ever played. And oh, so I, sure. yeah. I loved watching those games. Like it blew me away. And my best friend at the time was a Knicks fan. So of course, watching like Bulls versus Knicks games, there's a lot of contention in the room until somebody finally won. <laughs> But uh, but all right, well that's that's cool. And so so you're gearing up to go on tour again really soon because the the head PE tour starts pretty soon, doesn't it? The beginning of August, I think. Yeah, we leave. Yeah, I think the first show, our first show is August second. I think we're just missing the first one. But yeah, so a couple weeks. Very cool. And so you said you're working on a super secret project, which is obviously super secret. Um, uh, what do you have any plans for big videos, singles, or events for Power Man Five Thousand coming up? Yeah, I don't know. We're, we're talking about what the second single will be. You know, How to Be a Human was the first single, and that right. did what did a radio, and now we're looking at the, you know, what the next single might be, and, uh, you know, so I guess, you know, fairly soon we'll know what that's going to be, and that'll go to radio, and really it's just about, you know, touring uh, through the, you know, at least through the end of the year, and I'm sure we'll do some more touring next year, and just, you know, just see what we can do. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy different time for bands, and certainly for bands like us, so you know, but, you know, I'm fully committed to this band and this album and, you know, really, really believe in the quality of it. So, you know, I just want to get out there and work as hard as I can to get people, you know, on board and, you know, and part of that is, you know, trying to have a bit more of a worldwide strategy. You know, we just got back from Europe and it was just incredible and just playing these massive festivals, you know, in front of a hundred thousand people and, you know, opening for Metallica and Iron Maiden and, you know, and it's just, there's, there's a level of appreciation over there that honestly I don't really see in America anymore, you know, and it's kind of sad. Like it's just, it's a, it was inspiring, you know, and it definitely like, it got us all energized to come back and hit the road here. But, you know, it, but it also shows you like that, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, like, you know, I feel like rock, you know, rock is rock never goes away and there's all kids always love rock music, but you know, I feel like in America, it's, it's, it's taken a, a back seat, you know, to a lot of other forms of music. And you know, I feel like in, in Europe, there seems to be, they still seem to like really appreciate it, you know? So it's kind of fun to, to be a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen that too. I think that also music is consumed so differently here now. And like, I find with my friends personally that like, no one wants to really go see a show anymore. Everyone's just content to kind of listen to stuff that they've got. And so I'm always yeah. eager to see a band live. Cause I feel like a band who plays live well will always be better than anything they do on CD. Cause it's that, personal yeah. connection you make with a band is on a whole other level from just listening to them on a the disc, you know? Yeah. And well, and also at this point, the live show is the, the last thing that you can't, you know, recreate on your computer, the experience, you, know, you can't, you know, you can't download the experience of being in a, a club and having a ear splitting volume and being in a you know, room full of sweaty people fighting or whatever it is, you know, I, I, you know, the value of the live show, I hopefully will, will maintain for sure. Yeah. Um, the question I have about Builders of Future is one of the one of my favorite tracks on the record is actually I Want to Kill You. Um, and it's because it's so unique to a lot of the other stuff that you guys normally do. You don't have a ton of acoustic tracks in your discography. So I really like that you kind of had this kind of twisted acoustic track. And I'm curious to hear more about how that kind of specific track came about. Yeah, I mean it was it was a it was kind of a weird, you know, I, on we had basically the bulk of the record done. You know, I was like, okay, we've got a great solid Power Man record, but I, you know, with every record I like to try to do something throw a twist at the end or try something, you know, something that's sort of a little left of center of what we do and that song, you know, I went in the studio and I did it with actually Evan who used Evan Rodonice who produced the record and used to be in Power Man. And he had an, he happened to have an acoustic guitar out from a session that he did the day before with another band. 
and I had just literally just the idea of I want to kill you as like a song title. Right. And so um, I said, well, let's just, you know, just pick up the acoustic guitar. And we started fucking around and we literally just wrote and recorded the song probably in a few hours. Just, it just kind of fell together. And I'm not generally, I don't generally work that way. Usually it takes me a while and it just fell together. And it was, you know, it was one of those songs that was, you know, you know, it, it was unique for us because, you know, it's sort of the most, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I guess we, for lack of a better term, personal song. And sometimes I don't write that kind of stuff, you know, where you just kind of lay it out there and have it be like, wow, fuck, this seems like it's sort of something real, you know what I mean? So it was, you know, it's a bit of a risk, I suppose, for us, but it, the re- a lot of people do um, bring up that song when they talk about the record because I think it is such a surprise when you get to that track. And it's not just some throwaway track, you know, track 13, Hidden, you know, we, we feature it and it's a, you know, it's like a, you know, it's it's part of the record, not just some weird bonus thing. You know, so um, I'm glad we did. I'm I'm really proud of that song. I feel like it's it does something that uh, you know I ha- I've never done before. So it's no. always nice after you know 20 years later, you can still go, hey, I did something different. You know, right? And something that keeps you invested and keeps the experience constantly unique and surprising. Um, sure. which is, which is always good. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, that's, I think why I noticed it personally as someone who connects to music, music on an emotional level more often than not sat and hearing this very, you know, song that seems from a more personal place. I was like, Oh, awesome. This, this got some weight, you know, and I like the other stuff too, but it's kind of nice to have that breakup of, you know, these different things. I mean, you guys have always kind of tried to change things up like on the earlier records, throwing in covers on every couple of albums, doing a cover album, which is really cool, you know, kind of changing it up and reinventing yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to, you have to be, you have to, you know, you, you have an audience that you, you kind of have to serve, you know, on one hand, but you, you have to serve yourself as well. And, you know, you have to always, because if it's not fun or interesting, then there's no point in doing it, you know? So, to, so it's always, yeah, I'm always trying to figure out the next thing and, Although I'm very comfortable with the band is now like I don't I don't need to reinvent the wheel anymore for the band. You know, I feel like I feel like you know, I've come back full circle and like this kind of electronic metal thing and I just I really feel like that's that's who we are and just the, the whole point now is just do it better and better every time you try to make a record, you know. Yeah. And also I mean back when, when you guys were first kind of coming on the scene too, like new metal bands and bands that did that kind of a thing were kind of there were a lot of them. And not a lot of them stood the test of time, but you guys have kind of always been around and come back. So I think you've kind of firmly planted yourself in where you guys fit and there's a market for it. And you guys are making these records that, that obviously connect with your fans because they've stuck by you, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, part, you know, part of the, part of the formula of longevity is just not stopping. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true. You know, you just like, you know, a lot of bands come and go and they, you know, it's, you know, and things come in, they work in ways and you don't, you just got to be prepared to ride it. And like, you know, you just never know what's going to happen as long as it's still fun and interesting and you, and you still feel like you have some, some things to, to prove and there's no point in stopping, you know? Sure. Um, the next thing I was curious about is because obviously as a fan of the music, I have, I have a personal favorite song, but I was curious if you have a song that like you prefer to perform live or that's your favorite because you like you know, the energy behind it on stage or that it's kind of like a Sophie's choice and you can't pick one. They're all your favorite. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, I think generally playing new material is always the most fun because it's, you know, you, you know, playing the new stuff off this new album when we go out live is always my, are my favorite moments of the live show. Now, you know, playing invade, destroy, repeat the, you know, the first song on the record is probably the most fun that I have in the, in the new live set. You know what I mean? Um, it just, um, there's something about it, you know, and, and it, and it, you know, playing new songs makes you feel like, Oh, you don't know what's going to quite happen, you know, because you haven't played them 10,000 times before. So I wouldn't say I have a particular favorite, but you know, whenever there's a new record, I always enjoy playing the new material for sure. Awesome. And so obviously we, we covered earlier that you're very heavily influenced by pop culture and, and a lot of nerdy things like comic books and movies. Um, where does the musical influence come from? I mean, obviously you were a fan of rock and roll, I imagine, but what, what, what artists were like your idols growing up that influenced you to go in a direction towards music? Oh, I mean, without a doubt, punk rock changed my life. Like it was, you know, when growing up as a kid, you know, we all listened to the radio and, you know, and music to me as a little kid seemed very like 
distant, very magical. I didn't have any idea like how to make music or, you know, it just sounded like this weird stuff coming out of the radio. And then when I started, when I discovered bands like the clash and the Ramones and the sex pistols and black flag, and, you know, I was like, fuck, I, well, first of all, it blew my mind. Cause it was like, this is unlike anything I've ever heard. And it seems like it's from, a, it seems like it's from another planet from where I came from, you know, but then, but I also heard like, I understood it and I was like, well, fuck, I might be able to do that. You know, like that guy's not the greatest singer in the world or, you know, this guitar player is not, you know, playing a million notes, you know, and it just seemed like I could wrap my head around it. And, but beyond that, it was really the attitude of it. You know, music to me before I've heard punk rock was very passive, you know, something kind of in the background or, you know, Elton John or something like great, but just like, it wasn't, it didn't make me want to like get up and fucking, get into a fight or, you know, or whatever. Just like, but, but when I heard that, you know, the aggression and the simplicity of that stuff, that's what inspired me to, me to get involved with music. And then that, that you know, trans, then the same thing happened when I started to listen to, like, rap music. It was the same kind of feeling, you know, hearing, like, Public Enemy or NWA. I was like, fuck, like, the aggression, you know, like, it just really resonated with me. And also the fact that here we are, another form of music that, like, you didn't even need to play an instrument, you know what I mean? Like, and you didn't even need to be able to sing, you know? So that really connected with me. And so, and then forward, fast forward to like electronic music, same kind of thing is very non-traditional approach to making songs. So all those things came together and, you know, and, and affected me. How early did you start singing or playing, uh, playing music? Uh, I, I was in, uh, in high school, really. I, um, started a band in high school, uh, when I was probably like 14 or 15 and I played bass and sang, it was a punk rock band called Vital Interest. You know, we were like <laughs> political, you know, and we were just terrible. Like I would literally write songs, you know, that had two or three notes and we would just play the talent show and get booed off the stage. And, you know, so, but if that was when I started, you know, it was like, uh, you know, just, just love the idea of it. I love the idea of being in a band, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's like when people are, people are like compelled to join a gang, you know, it's like, it was kind of like that feeling like you're, yeah, it's your fucking band, you know, it was like that. It was really like, I liked that idea, just the concept of it, you know what I mean? Almost more than anything else. And so, you know, and so that's why I started. And then, uh, then I'm, after high school, I went to art school for like literally a couple months and then dropped out. Cause I was like, eh, I was like, I can paint, paint when I'm 80. Like, I want to make music. And that's when I started to try to put bands together in Boston and finally put Power Man together. I, I, I actually started doing, like, a, more of a solo thing first. It was more of a rap thing. And then, then I missed the aggression of, like, live instruments. And then Power Man sort of formed out of this solo rap thing I was trying to do at the time. And so, uh, yeah, so Power Man was, like, really my first real band, you know. I mean, I wouldn't really count my high school band as a real thing. It's just you know, trying to figure out something to do. Yeah, and, trouble. and so were you, were you born in, born in Boston? Is that your hometown? Is that where you're from? Well, I was born in, in a town like 45 miles north of Boston called Haverhill, Massachusetts, which is like a little factory town. Um, but then I'm, yeah, then moved to Boston after high school. Doesn't sound like a very rock and roll town. Uh, Haverhill or Boston? <laughs> I mean, Boston was very, very music center. I mean, there's like so many great bands that came from there. No, no, sure, you know, of course. I, I was yeah. more making a joke. Haverhill was not. Haverhill was a very much like a wasteland of. No, it was. It was a. It was a. You know, a, a town. It was just, you know, factories and uh, you know, some, just nothing really much to do but get into trouble. And I think that's why, I, uh, you know, I sort of became sucked in with like, TV and movies and stuff. It was sort of like it was an escape. It was like a window to, like, other possibilities in life. You know. Sure. Um, did you have a favorite, do you, do you now, or did you then have a favorite sci-fi TV show or movie that's still like at the top of your list these days? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was always a huge, uh, nut for the original Star Trek, the William Shatner version. I just, I loved it growing up and still do. I just think there's something really fucking, it's almost like a Andy Warhol painting or something. There's something so bizarre and simple about it, but it's, you know, I just love that show. And, uh, you know, I mean, growing up, you know, I liked old sci-fi movies. I liked 50s sort of like Cold War stuff a lot like them. And, 
things like that because I love the paranoia around all those movies. But but I love you know Al the first Alien you know it was a 2001 Space Odyssey you know Odyssey and uh, Blade Runner and you know Mad Max. I, love, I mean there's so many great there's so many great science fiction movies that came out like in the 70s and I just really those are the ones that I, don't know, I guess I connected to the most. Yeah, they seem to stand the test of time. Those those oh, great. I mean, movies. You watch 2001, 2001, which was made in what I don't even know what year. I can't remember. Like early 60s, and the, the effects are have not been surpassed. Crazy. Yeah, and I mean that soundtrack too for that movie. Like, I mean, without it, it would the impact of half of the the pivotal scenes would not be the same without that that killer orchestration. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, uh, hey, um, I, don't, I don't mean to rush you, um, but if I, I, they were like calling me back in to try to work on this song. So if there's any, uh, any like, like I, I don't know, we're just we're kind of like just chatting, like we're friends on the phone. But <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> so if there's a, um, is there like a, a couple more, and I'll try to keep them brief because I know I just ramble on and on. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I, essentially, the 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 goal for this is to use it to write an article for Broken Records, and then I'm going to use the audio for I have an audio oh, cool. podcast, and so I oh, mean, okay. if you have. If you have a time limit and you need to go, you know, just let me know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not trying yeah, I to. Pro- I, should, I should probably, I didn't realize, like, I didn't know, they didn't give me, like, a time frame on the interview, so I didn't know, but um, I just don't want to keep them waiting, and they're probably, like, wondering what the fuck I'm doing, so. No, no problem. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, I will definitely let you know in the article, you and 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 um, the, my contact for you when the article goes up and when the audio podcast goes up. But I appreciate you taking the time to chat, Spider. Um, no, totally. It was a lot, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I mean, as 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 a huge Power Man fan for a long time, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you and chat music. And uh, I'll definitely come over and say hi once once you guys make it to New York. Yeah. Well, we will do the follow up in New York. Yeah, It'll that'd be, be like, great. Yeah, part two. Yeah. I would totally love that. Thank you, Spider. Right. I appreciate your time, Let's man. Do it. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.